and welcome to Gardening Talkback on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Great to see you back in. Survive the weekend? Yeah, I did. And we were sitting out having a quiet little uh, drink last night at about yep. six o'clock. And I looked out into the sky and I went, oh, look, it's lordy. Look at that. It's still light. The days are getting longer. Finally. Yeah, how perfect. First day of spring? Yes. What you do? Uh, I went to a cafe in town and they had a huge big suspension spring on their counter and that was their joke for the day. That's I like that. Yeah, so you went, they just pointed at it and they go, it's spring, yeah. So that was very funny. Uh, did you walk out afterwards? No, I bought my hot chocolate and then I left, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what have you got planned for us today, Scott? I thought we'd talk about uh, Lithodora. It's a little ground cover. Uh, where does corn come from? And because it's corn time to start you know, planting that and get it on the, uh, get it on the table for all the kids. Yep. Uh, sublime as well. It's a little pot lime. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about organic gardening as well. Yeah, Scott, we've got the Maitland Garden Rambles on. This month? Yes, this month, uh, the 16th and 17th of September. I know, I know time always gets away from you and I. We it does. In. It's coming up so quick. It is. That would be not this weekend, but I reckon... The weekend after the weekend that. after, yes. We have to endure a council election this weekend. We have to get oh, through yes. that first. So Looking forward to that. Aren't we immensely. all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh, Maitland Garden Ramble will be on the 16th and 17th. And uh, callers today will go into our special draw... And the, they can win the two Greg tickets. And I, yeah, that you and I run here every yep. day. With the big barrel. Yep. And, and, the, and the Wheel of Fortune thing. And uh, you can get uh, two tickets or a double pass to go to the Maitland Garden Ramble on the 16th and 17th of September. Oh, excellent. So looking for upbeat callers. Well, any caller, really. Any caller. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we do have our first caller. It is Vicky from Charlestown. And she's got a question about a mini magnolia. Hello, Vicky. How can we help you? Hi, um, I was just wondering, I have a little gem magnolia in a half wine barrel. Now, I was in hospital for some time and my family didn't look after it, <laughs> but it started to come back. I would like to know if I can take it out of the wine barrel um, and put fresh soil in or fresh potty mix and replant it back into it. And when would be the best time to do that? Look, I'm sure rather than looking after the magnolia, they were looking after you, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> I would have preferred them to look after the magnolia. Oh, no. <laughs> it's actually growing. <laughs> but you're still here, so that's, that's the main thing. So with the mini uh, magnolia, uh, look, taking it out and sort of damage and exposing the roots is probably going to damage them more than help, help the plant. You're better if, this, if, you know, if the potty mix is sunk just to you know, gently top it up. And then mm -hmm. to uh, start fertilising it a little bit more regularly. You can use an organic fertiliser, a slow-release one like Bounce Back. It's a pelletised manure, and you can just sprinkle that around the top every three to four months. Uh, okay. and, and if you want to, you can also use a liquid fertiliser like Flourish, and you can use that every couple of weeks, and the plant will you know, obviously absorb that much more quickly than it will uh, the organic fertiliser that's breaking down over time. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so look, I, I think rather than, you know, go to all of that trouble of pulling it out of the pot, exposing the roots uh, and, you know, potentially damage them, I just, you know, if you need to, top it up a little bit, but just start your regular fertilising and plenty of water because any plant that's in a pot uh, is always going to, you know, suffer a little bit more than a plant that's in the ground. You know, when it's in the ground, it can spread its roots out and off it goes, yeah. you know, it's like a, t you know, it's like a teenager living, leaving home. Uh, you know, they can really, you know, sort of spread their roots out and off they go and, you know, blossom into the world. But uh, when you, when they're in a pot, uh, you know, they will dry out quickly. They will, will use up the nutrients a lot more quickly. Okay, then. Well, I will definitely do that. Thank you very much okay. for your help. Not a problem, Vicky. Happy, okay, happy feeling you. better. See you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, we've got Heather from a Cameron Park and she's got a question about 
a passion fruit. Excellent. How can we help you with your passion fruit, Heather? Hi, Scott. I've got buckets and buckets of passion fruit off my vine, which, and yesterday I cut it back and got a lot of the dead stuff out. Yeah. I now want to know what's the best thing to uh, fertilise it with, cow manure or pelletised chook manure or what? Yeah. Now, look, firstly, uh, those buckets of passion fruit you've got, are they ripe? Yes. Okay. Now, do you ever go past Carrington at any point in time? <laughs> I've got to the stage where I'm cutting them and just putting them into clip-lock bags in the freezer because I've got so many of them. Oh, look, look don't, don't, don't waste them by doing that, you know. <laughs> really, if, you, if you're heading over towards the island, I'll, I'll give you my address and you can just drop them off at the front door and all will be well. And I'll share some with Greg, I promise. Yeah, I've shared them with all <laughs> the neighbours and everyone. So, yeah, they've been beautiful. Yeah, look, so feeding your passion fruit is important. I'd be more inclined to use uh, cow manure on uh, on your passion fruit. Yep. Uh, if okay. you start using pelletai, you know, especially poultry manure, it will, you know, promote green leafy growth too yeah, much. And you want, that. Yeah, yeah, and you want the fruit. So in conjunction with the uh, cow manure, I'd probably uh, get some sulfate of potash. It's I've a, got you, some, Okay, yep. and just continue using that probably every three to four weeks. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much okay. for that. That's great. Not a I problem. Can- Bye. Thank you, and I'll give you my address in a little while. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, bye. Bye-bye. Address, why? So she can drop the passion fruit off. Right, uh, yep. You, okay. weren't, you weren't with me on that one then? No, I wasn't. No, there. okay. Yep. <laughs> there was a big gap. There was some air there. That's all right. <laughs> it's Gardening Talk back on 2 and FM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, 49216216. And we've got Helen from East Maitland, and she needs advice about a banksia tree. Hey, Helen, how can we help you? I'd love to know what to feed it. Uh, okay, so now, of course, Banksia is a native. Uh, you have to be very, very careful about what you're feeding native trees. Uh, so the best thing to do is use blood and bone. It's a really nice, safe fertiliser for natives. Or uh, get a specific native fertiliser and only use it according to the directions. Okay, then, thank you. And the reason for that is that natives are excellent at uh, drawing phosphorus out of the soil. And if you start giving them, uh, you know, normal uh, fertilisers or cow manure and things like that, there's a lot of phosphorus in those and it just sucks it out of the soil and just sort of burns it from the inside oh. out. So, yeah, blood and bone or a specific native fertiliser. Okay, thanks. Okay, not a problem, Helen. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for that, Helen. I remember as a kid, those little banksia things used to fall off. Mm-hmm. And it just got given to me. So there used to be like little bunyips when I was a kid. Yes. Now, remember Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie, the book? Remember yes. the, the Banksia men? Now, they were really that's, nasty. That's what I'm thinking of Yes, now. yeah. All of a sudden, you're going to have nightmares tonight, aren't you? Oh, I'm thinking about Banksia men chasing me down the street. Yeah, you'll be curled up in your bed. You'll be sweating. Oh, oh help me, help me, help oh, me. Thanks for reliving that good memory. Yeah, they, <laughs> you won't get away from them either in your dream. I can tell you that. They always keep coming. I'll catch up to you. And then when you run still and you can't move? Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? Oh. Yeah. No, well, you can always wake up. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> and we've got Steve from Shortland, and he's got a question about roses. Hey, Steve, how can we help you, mate? Um, yes, Scott, I've got two standard roses in pots, um, and every time I go to trim them back or cut a, a bud off them, like a, a spent flower, the stem dies right back. I've changed secateurs, I've wiped them with metho, and, and they're, they're both just doing exactly the same thing. As soon as you, you trim them, the stem just dry, uh, dies all the way back. And one of my standard roses, um, I've only got one side of it left now because the other side's died right back. I just don't know what to do. Yeah, no worries. Look, the way you started at that story then, it was like, you know, whenever I go near my standard roses, I thought you were going to say they, they lunge at me and bite me or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I thought uh, you well, were going. Yeah, well, I feel 
quite lunging at them because they just, <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. Now, uh, when you're pruning roses, it's really important about where you actually prune uh, in regards to where the bud is. Uh, yeah, so if you're pruning, uh, you know, sort of, look, okay, the best way to describe it is you prune just above the bud on an angle. So where that little leaf bud is coming out, you just prune above that on an angle. If you leave too much up there above that bud where the leaf bud's coming out, you start getting dieback, which then continues all the way back down the stem. And that sounds like what might be happening to you. Oh, okay, because I've, I've these have been in the pots for several years and yep. I've cut them back exactly the same way. Well, this year I haven't even bothered cutting them back because I'm frightened I'm going to lose the whole lot of them. But you know, I might just try what you suggested and re-evaluate where I cut them. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, just make sure they're getting plenty of water as well so they're not stressed. Uh, look, pruning the rose shouldn't do that. The only reason would be, like I said, that you're pruning too far above the bud and you're getting that dye back down yep. through there. Yep, okay. All right, Scott, I'll, I'll pay more attention to that. <laughs> okay, not a problem. Thanks for that, Steve. Thanks for the help, mate. Appreciate it greatly. Don't, don't let them bite you, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs> you attacked by roses. That's what it sounded like when you start his story. I thought, you know, he must have a cat or something like that that was... Well, they, if, well, roses can be violent, the little thorns. Yeah, they can be. Look, And the thing with roses is when you do the rose pruning, just the tips of the thorn breaks off into your hand. It's not till usually the next morning when it started to go all festy and infected. Oh, and, and there's a little bit of thorn still in there. Yeah, and there's sort of gangrene spreading up your arm that you realise you've been pricked a couple of times with a rose thorn. <laughs> when gangrene yeah, kicks well, in, that's when you realise. I might have been just going a little bit too far there. A little too far. And you're not a doctor, so. No, and so I didn't actually self-diagnose that I had gangrene. We have got a bill from Gwandolin. He's got a question about croton. Crotons, yes. It's not the thing you put in the soup. Ah. Yeah. How can we help you, Bill? Hey, mate. Um, I've got two crotons, very nice plants in pots. Yes. And I've got three in the ground. Uh, they're, all of them are starting the leaves are coming off. Mm-hmm. Now, is it too much water or not enough water? The only thing I've been giving is a sea salt, yep. which is a liquid fertiliser. But... Yeah, so look, sea salts are really good for the root system of the plant. But I think with your crotons at this time of year, and I've got one in my backyard as well in a pot, and the same thing's happening, it's just the cold because they're really, they really are a subtropical plant. Uh, so once they get down here to Newcastle, you know, the nighttime temperatures start to go below, you know, 8 or 5 degrees. Well, that's what I've had here at one on, yeah. Yeah, so that, I think that's what's happening to you. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. The nights are starting to warm up, just like I said at the start. You know, our days are getting longer now. Yeah. So I think, you know, they will come back for you. You might get I, some... I shouldn't water too much, or...? Oh, no, no, you can continue to water them normally. Don't be worried about that. Uh, and especially if they're in pots because they can dry out. And, you know, the, with the wind we've got out there today, you know, it is quite uh, sort of, uh, you know, there's not much humidity in the air and crotons love humidity. So, again, that's the reason, you know, another one of the reasons they don't do too well here in winter because our humidity drops right down. Fair enough. Now, the two in a pot, I'm going to put them in the ground. I'll wait till the weather really warms up another few weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. Yes, certainly do that. Uh, You could put them in now if you wanted to, uh, but sometimes changing a position of a plant, uh, you know, if you're going to expose it to uh, some cold settling on it or to some different wind, uh, you know, it's best to do it once it starts to warm up. Okay, thanks for help, mate. Okay, You've been a, a great help. Okay, thank you, Bill. So uh, I just hope this winter gets out of the way. Yeah, I think, I think it is on the way out. Okay, you have a good day, too. Okay, thanks. You too, mate.
Cheers, thanks, Bill. We've yeah. got Ken, sorry? I was just going to say, Crotons do better up around Coffs Harbour where the nighttime yeah. temperatures don't drop off so much. A calipers as well. So as soon as you get to Coffs, uh, you know, you start to see, you know, the, those sort of plants doing a little bit better. I've always thought Newcastle would be ideally suited if we could pick it up and move it to Coffs, where Coffs Harbour is. Just squash Coffs Harbour. Don't worry about that. So we're just going over the top of Over Coffs the top Harbour. of Coffs because then we'd have, you know, it's not too much hotter during the summer, but, you know, just ideal during winter. I didn't know you were a tectonics expert. Well, I don't, I don't know how we're going to do it, but uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure if we get a big enough helicopter, we can lift Newcastle up and move it. A couple of big helicopters. A couple of big helicopters, one on each side. I'm sure someone's got one somewhere. We've got Ken from Wanji. And he wants to know, how can you get rid of those curl grubs in pots? Yeah, they are pests. They are pests. What's happening to yours, uh, Ken? I repotted a, a pot during the week, and uh, I found about oh, 10 or 12 in the bottom of a pot, and... I've got a number of other pots, and I wonder whether there's something I can treat the soil with rather than repot the whole business. Yeah, look, so they're, they're the uh, you know the grub, the pupa of the of the, of the uh, Christmas beetle. So it comes along, lays its eggs, and then they hatch out. Um, look, they're naturally occurring; they are in the garden. But unfortunately, when they you know get uh, hatched out in a pot, the uh, root system's only quite small, and uh, you know they do quite a lot of damage. Then, yes, yeah, they just I understand. Yeah, get yeah. in there and munch away at it. So you, do, you need to get uh, you know some sort of insecticide. Uh, Confidor can work for you in this case. You just mix it up into the watering can as per the instructions and you drench it down through the soil and that should get rid of them for you. I'm not sure I've got them in the other pot plants, but I don't want to have to repot about eight or ten plants just for the sake of looking, you know. Yeah, and look, it may be that you've only got it in that particular plant. You know, the beetles come along, it's laid its eggs there. Uh, You know, it hasn't necessarily gone and spread itself around, uh, you know, to those other other pots. So the guy wouldn't be too concerned about the other pots unless they're showing signs of wilting because the root system's been damaged in there. All right, Scott, thank you very much. Not a problem. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And we've got Jenny from Cessnock. And she's got a question about New South Wales Christmas bush. Hey, Jenny, how can we help you with it? Yes, please. I've, I've had it for about, um, about four years. It's in a pot. And I've just moved house, and I want to put it in the garden over here. I was listening when you said that lady about magnolias, and you said to leave them in a pot, not to disturb them. Yeah, so look, I think what uh, that lady was talking about, she actually wanted to take her plant out of the pot and sort of refresh the potting mix and then put it back into the same pot. Right. So that was only ever going to disrupt the plant. Uh, You know, it wasn't going to be very happy after doing that. But you can certainly, uh, you know, transplant your New South Wales Christmas bush from a pot into the ground because you're just going to sort of pop it out. Hopefully the root system will be all nice and compact in there and you'll just be able to slot it straight into the ground. Don't ever tease the roots apart or anything like that. You always just put it straight in with plenty of water in the hole. Right, and if I was going to add some fresh soil, that would be native? Yes, make sure you use a native potting mix and try and find the you know the most well-drained spot that you can uh, you know, on the property, not on top of a rock or anything like that, uh, mm. but somewhere you know that's not in a hollow where it might be a little bit soggy or where water might run down. Always try and get it up in a nice well-drained spot. Okay. Can I ask you another question about a magnolia while I've got you there? Absolutely. That's what we're here for. Right. The, the house I've uh, just moved into has got a, a beautiful magnolia out the front, but I don't want it to get any taller. It's up to the eaves now, mm-hmm. even though it's not near the eaves but I want it at a manageable height. Now, so I know not to do it now, but so next year when all the flowers and all the leaves drop up, is that the time that I cut it back? Yeah, so most people leave the, uh, the pruning of a magnolia until after it's finished flowering. 
Yes. Uh, if you do it prior to that, you know, if you do it in winter when it's actually lost all its leaves, you won't get flowers for that year. So you're best to actually sort of let the plant, uh, you know, finish flowering and then give it a prune back, uh, you know, say in, you know, October or so. That really won't harm the plant at all. Oh, right. And then, okay. and then you'll ensure that you get your flowers again next year because that's really why you put those uh, magnolias in. Right, yes. You know how as soon as flowers go, the, the leaves come on. So I thought I'd wait till I'd have to wait till it was totally bare. Yeah, no, no, don't, don't do that. Look, you can just as long as you're not pruning it back too hard. Uh, you know, if you were to give it a very, very hard prune back, uh, then you'd probably wait till it's dropped all its leaves and just accept that you're not going to have flowers for that season. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, if it's only just a light prune back, you can do it. Uh, you know, in October or November if you want to. Okay, thank you very much for that. Excellent, thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. It's a gardening talk back on 2NURFM. Any questions for Scott Sharp? 49216216. Now, Scott, at the top of the show, you mentioned something a little bit about corn. Yes, I thought we'd have a quick talk about corn because it's, it's time to put corn in the ground. Now, it's, it's such an easy plant to grow as well. Really? I just, oh, yeah, yeah. I always thought it was hard. No, no, it's such an easy... I mean, that's why it's been around for so long and it's, you know, it's such a versatile plant. Yep. You just need a full sun position. Uh, you need a bit of space, I guess. That's about the only thing with corn because... Uh, if you're going to grow lots of it. Yeah, if you're going to grow lots of it, you know, you don't sort of need 20,000 acres or anything yep. like that and a helicopter to to fly out <laughs> there and pick it. But, uh, you know, if you've got a you know a decent uh, you know sized backyard, you can certainly grow corn. Uh, and you do get a fair bit of corn off, you know, each uh, bush, I guess. Yep. Yeah, off each plant. Uh, so, yeah, corn's been around for so, so long. Uh, the first um, time, uh, you know, it's sort of been recorded that it was ever used uh, was from Mexico. Right. About 10,000 years ago. They were onto that early. They certainly were. They have corn in everything, though, don't they? It's very... It's a staple in there. It, yeah, it is a staple. And I guess it's become a staple, you know, the world over because it's been transported. It's a very easy plant to transport as well, uh, you know, because the seeds are there. You know, the, there's many, many corn kernels or seeds yep. on there, so they can transport it very easily. And the other thing about it is that it's, you know, very versatile in regards to where it will grow. It will grow, you know, virtually the world over, except for, you know, very, very cold climates. Uh, and so, look, corn, we've turned it into all sorts of stuff, bread, you know, all, you know, all sorts of wheat products. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, a very versatile plant. Very easy to, to grow. Uh, so sweet corn, uh, look, very few pests and disease as well. So it's one of those things that the kids can do too uh, because, you know, they can get the nice-looking corn kernel from the seed packet, stick it in there. Yep. Uh, you know, within a, you know, a couple of weeks, it's going to have germinated. It grows very, very quickly for them. So there's a bit of, you know, satisfaction for the kids. You know, it's not like they're waiting six months yeah, for yeah. this plant to, to grow. And uh, it, it's uh, and it'll pop up and then they can actually, you know, it's, it's recognisable for them as well. They can see the corn, um, you know, Cobb's actually growing on the plant. Oh, okay, right, yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of fun if you've got kids. Uh, you know, just I think to... it's a lot of fun if you're an adult as well. Well, absolutely. And it's not like, you know, tomatoes where, you know, you've got them there and they're, uh, uh, you know, there's fruit fly and all of those problems you have to put up with and fungal disease. So, yeah, I reckon corn's a really nice, easy plant uh, to grow. And as long as you've got a little bit of space and full sun, they'll do very, very well. Very good. And do you know what you call a piece of corn in the army? No, I don't. A kernel. Ah. Oh. So we've got Philippa from Bulladeela. And she's got a question about star geranium. Hey, Philippa, how can we help you with it? Yeah, thank you. I was given this plant, and I've never come across one with that name. What are they like? 
Yeah, so you've got a star geranium. Uh, now, the reason they're called that is because the little flowers, they sort of have a sort of a cross out that comes up the middle of them. And usually that's darker, so the outer petals will be, you know, a pink or a white. And then you get that beautiful sort of star, darker, you know, throat of the flower. And uh, so they grow exactly the same as normal geraniums. You just treat them exactly the same, uh, you know, nice dry conditions, full sun. Uh, watch out for them when it gets a little bit humid and make sure they don't get rust on them. And you just get these really tight uh, sort of uh, balls, you know, with many flowerets on there yeah. and, and the beautiful little stars in the middle. And they're very, very attractive little plants. Oh, really? Thank you. Yes, that's all right. I wasn't sure if it was a real plant when it was given to me. <laughs> no, no, it, they, are, they are a real plant. They haven't fallen from the sky. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's oh, all right. When, when, when would they flower? Yeah, they flower in the summer months, so you know they should be getting hmm. ready to flower now. Yeah, geraniums are a, a warm climate flowering plant. They really love the full sun. Okay, thank you okay. so much. Have a nice afternoon, Philippa. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Cheers, thanks, Philippa. We've got Gary now from Anna Bay, and he's got a question about Jules plants. Are they, grow are they growing diamonds, Gary? What's going on there? <laughs> no, 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 they're not, not diamonds, unfortunately. Um, it's more like rocks at the moment. <laughs> um, but it's a lassarander, lassander, I think it is, called Jules. Oh, yeah, Tipachina Jules, yep, yep. Yeah, Tipachina, yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, it, we've put it in, and it's, um, uh, but it's, in the, it's, it's facing due west, Yes. Um, it gets the afternoon sun, but it seems to be, the leaves seem to be curling up and um, half the plant looks like it's died. Yeah, so... Is that just a lack of water or...? It sounds like it. When did you actually put it in, just recently? Yeah, uh, probably uh, a month or so ago. Mother's Day, probably. Okay, Mother's now, Day, I think it was. Now, Gary, have you been a good boy? Have you been watering it regularly? Yeah, well, we had the, the uh, sprinklers come on. Yeah. Um, we turned, we've got underground watering and we the sprinklers come on and they they water it and i've just started now um watering it every morning and every night by hand yeah and look that look unfortunately that's probably what you should have been doing from the outset don't always rely on the sprinklers like that because right you know even though it's cold and it, you know it is very dry the humidity is low uh, we haven't had a great deal of rain and i think because you know you just put it in the ground that root system is really just sort of sitting in there in the shape of the pot and it hasn't spread out yet Right. Uh, and it, it's just dried off a little bit. Don't be concerned. They're a very, very tough little plant. I've seen them growing in some absolutely atrocious conditions. Just keep on watering it, and you'll find yep. it'll start to shoot back and come back for you. What about fertilising? Uh, leave it alone at the moment in case it's a, you know, it's a touch stressed. Uh, once it starts yep. to get some good new growth on it and it's yep. hardened up a bit, then you can give it some fertiliser if you want to. Uh, you can even give it some cow manure. Okay. Thanks very much, Scott. Okay, not a problem with it, Gary. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good afternoon, mate. Bye-bye. It's a gardening talk back on to when you are at FM. Any questions for Scott Sharp? 49216216. And we've got Carmel from Belmont. Just got a question about gerberas and a tree fern. Oh, no. What's happened? Are they mixing themselves together or something? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> That'd be a very, a very odd match. <laughs> With the gerberas, what is the best position for them? And do they need it dry or damp? Uh, yes, so again, gerber is a little bit like geraniums. You treat them almost the same. Uh, they prefer full sun position. Uh, you know, they like to dry out a little bit, so don't, you know, have them in soggy conditions. And with gerberas as well as geraniums, once you get around to February, March, and it gets very, very humid, uh, that's when you have to make sure they're not getting any fungal disease. So you'd use a, uh, you know, a fungicide like Mancozib Plus. 
Right. Uh, just as a, pre- a preventative at that time of year. Okay, just that some of them seem to be doing all right and the others have really dropped back and looking very sick. I just wondered if the cold weather had anything to do with that. Look, the cold weather can. You know, we none of us really like it too much and, and the plants are exactly the same. Uh, again, like I was talking to Gary then, you know, it has been quite dry. The winds are very drying. Uh, now, the mm. other thing about gerberas is, you know, you can get the old-fashioned varieties, you know, with the darker green leaf, and then you can get the newer varieties with the furrier, uh, you know, sort of lighter, greyer leaves, and you will get a difference oh, yeah. with those. The old-fashioned ones are obviously much, much tougher. Uh, but that, you know, nevertheless, they are quite a tough plant as long as they're in those really, uh, you know, well-drained position. And, again, mm. when it gets humid, you just have to make sure you use some sort of fungicide as a preventative. Oh, fine. Have you ever come across a gerber with just a, a green flower and no other flowers, just green flowers? I have seen them do that, and I'm not really uh-huh. sure exactly why, why they will do that. Uh, I, I, I think it can often be a white flower that just doesn't, you know, lighten off for some reason. I, I haven't I got see. an answer for that. I'm sorry. Okay, and just a quick one. With the tree ferns, I think the um, New South Wales tree fern with the long, skinny uh, trunk. Yes. Uh, if you cut those off, do they grow again? Yeah. Now, okay, there's two different tree ferns you can get. There's Dicksonii, which is the one that sort of has the furry, uh, you know, sort of yes. wider trunk that stays that down one. low. If you yep. cut that, it will actually, you can sort of get the top bit and put it back in the ground and it will go again for you. But the right. one you're talking about is Cooperi tree fern with the long trunk. If you mm. cut that, unfortunately, it's curtains for the Cooperi. Okay, I yeah. thought that might be the case. I just had a few that are getting a bit too tall. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, so don't, don't be cutting the Cooper eye and thinking that it's going to come back. You'll just have a funny-looking trunk in the garden after a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for your help. Okay, Carmel. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. We have Margaret from New Lambton, and she's got a question about bulbs. Okay. <laughs> right. Good afternoon. Um, <clears throat> look, I've had quite a few hyacinths. I've, in pots, uh, I've had them. Hyacinths and tulips, and they've all finished flowering. Yes. Now, what do I do to try and save the bulbs for next year? Do I leave them in pots or do I try and uh, clean it out um, and put them in storage? Okay, you can do it either way if you want to, but the main thing with the bulb is once you know it's the flowers are off and you know it's starting to die back, you don't pull it out of the ground then. You actually let it sort of die right back down because that's the time when it's feeding the bulb for next season. Right. Okay, so don't go touching them yet, Margaret. No, uh, I shan't. <laughs> okay, so uh, I, know, I know they look a little bit ugly, but you always just let them die right back down. It's, right it's, back. Yes. No, because I was worried about a couple of the tulips that will be in full sun very shortly. Yeah, that's, that's not a problem. Don't be worried about that. Uh, right. You know, they're going to die off anyway, but it is feeding the bulb for next year. Now, it... In a pot, they're fantastic because, uh, you know, you can sort of regulate that. You know, you don't let too much water get in there. Uh, you know, you can put them in under the house if you want to. Uh, or alternatively, if you want to, if you've got heaps of time on your hand, you can get those bulbs out of the pots and uh, store them in a paper bag or in a hessian sack or something in the garage. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much for that because I don't want to lose them. It's no, taken, no. You know, They've been spectacular, but no, I don't want to lose them. Yeah, and I think if you've, look, if you've got them in the garden, that's when people often lift them up then so they know where they are and they've sort of got some regulation of how dry they are. No, I haven't yep. got any room left in the garden. Okay, so if you've got them in pots, you can just leave them there if you want to or, you know, yes. alternatively you can yeah, put them in the garage. And, and, and when all the out. leaves have dropped back, then I can take them out of the pot. Absolutely. Very important you wait back until then. All right. Thank you very much for your help. Okay, thanks, Margaret. 
Right, good afternoon. Okay. Sounds Jeez. like Margaret was about to jump the gun then. Very much so. It's going to be an early starter. Oh, well, she'll live and learn. She will. <laughs> <laughs> it's Guardian Talk back on 2 and you are FM. Scott, I think we've got time for one more caller. Let's go for it. And it is Sandy from Talara, and she's got a question about native tree fern. Okay. How can we help you, Sandy? Sandy. 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 Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Sandy. How can we help you? Uh, I was giving a um, oh, good afternoon, Scott. I was giving a, um, a native tree from a birthday by one of my friends. It's called Blushing Bride, and it's a beautiful little tree. And when I got it, it was all in bud, and and it was ready to. The, the buds are ready to open, and when they open, instead of being a white flower, they were a light brown flower. Yes. Yeah, and um, the instructions on 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 the card for the plant said, um, direct sun, doesn't like wind, keep moist, and, and feed it. I've been doing that, and I've noticed, I went out a little while ago, and I've noticed I've got... Little brown streaks on the leaves. What's that called from? Okay, so the plant you've got, uh, Blushing Bride's a type of protea, and proteas are native to South Africa. That's correct. Why the rugby team gets it. Called the pro- yeah, the proteas. The yeah. proteas, yes. Okay, thank you very much for that. I don't know much about rugby. Uh, but that, that's why that, that plant's... Uh, so that's yeah, so I'm getting confused between rugby and plants there. I better <laughs> recalibrate my brain there for a second. Uh, yeah, uh, proteas, they like uh, pretty much the same conditions as native plants like here in in Australia. Uh, so yeah. again, just if you've got it in a nice well-drained potting mix, a native mix, yes, yeah, yes. and just keep on watering it, uh, don't you know, let it sit in a saucer of water. I think it's, you know, with again, you know, getting back to the, the conditions we've got at the moment, you know, it's been cold, it's been blustery and windy, yeah. it's been dry. I think it's probably just a little bit tired from that. Once it yeah, warms yeah. up, I think you, you'll get new shoots coming on it. If the flower's died off now, you can actually just snip that, deadhead that flower off there if you want to. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've pruned, I've pruned, I um, cut the, um, the buds off because they're going brown and they're falling off. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so just um, when you're going to fertilise it, you make sure you use a native fertiliser and treat it like a native plant here in Australia and just make sure it's being well watered and, uh, you know, in sort of afternoon sun and that'll be fantastic for you. Okay, thanks for that, Sandy. Right out, Scott. We are out of time, but quickly, tickets winner for the ramble. Ticket winner. Oh, quick, quick roll the thing, do the barrel. Um, We'll say... Which pigeon's going to, we're going to draw out? I'm going to say Helen from East Maitland. Let's go with Helen from East Maitland. She's up in that area. Um, we'll spread it around. She will love it. Absolutely. Okay. Helen, Helen from East Maitland, you've got the uh, two tickets for the Garden Ramble. Congratulations. Okay. Scott Sharp, I'll catch you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.